This is a Federal News Network podcast. The following program is produced and furnished in conjunction with Roger Waldron of the Coalition for Government Procurement, which is entirely responsible for its content. Welcome to Off the Shelf with Roger Waldron of the Coalition for Government Procurement on Federal News Network. Off the Shelf gives a voice to commercial service and product companies selling in the federal market. Roger speaks to members and government officials about procurement policy, trends, innovations, and debate. Now your host, Roger Waldron. Today my guest on Off the Shelf is Alan Thomas. Alan is the Chief Operating Officer for IntelliBridge, IT company focused on the federal marketplace. And uh, Alan is also the former commissioner of the Federal Acquisition Service. And today we're going to talk about, you know, where interagency contracting is, GSA's role, and what we can see moving forward. There is a lot going on at GSA right now, and there's a lot to talk about. So, Alan, thanks for joining me and welcome back to the show. Glad to be here. Okay, so let's kick it right off and talk about one thing that I know um, lots of folks are focusing on, um, and it's 18 months into the three-year pilot for the e-commerce platform contracts, and there's you know lots of focus on where it's going to go next, and GSA is going to do a follow-on, and there's questions about the scope of the opportunity, the size of the market, the ex- potential expansion of the program, and GSA just... Um, you know, had, had an RFI out on the street, you know, and lots of folks commented and provided feedback on it, including the coalition. So, Alan, you know, what's your take on the current state of the uh, the pilot and where you think it's headed? Yeah, so I think uh, pr- probably two or three notable things about it. I think one is you know, we've seen some data from GSA that they're they're pretty happy with the pilot in terms of adoption. Uh, that they've, you know, they've gotten to a number of agencies and the, and the, um, the number of transactions that have gone through the pilot, right, I think has really kind of ramped up in the last maybe six months or so. It was a little touch and go there, I think, at the beginning in terms of, you know, were they going to get enough adoption to really have a true pilot and draw some, some conclusions from. So I think that, you know, the answer there is they're, they're definitely going to have enough data. And I think that's why they were confident enough to put the, put the RFI out that you mentioned that's that's sort of on the on the positive. I think, you know, one one thing that has undergone a reassessment certainly since I was there at GSA and we when we kind of kicked off this effort was, you know, initially we we were thinking about a market of maybe six or seven billion dollars a year worth of quote unquote tail spend that might go through, you know, an, an e-commerce portal like this. And that, you know, that has really been kind of whittled down, right? And I think you'll hear folks at GSA now talk about a market that's considerably smaller, right? Maybe somewhere in the in the five to seven hundred million dollar a year range, right? Which is not trivial, but you know, but but certainly isn't six six or seven billion dollars, right? So kind of I think that this the scale of the program has really has gotten a little bit a little bit smaller. And then, you know, I think one thing that really hasn't been addressed yet fully is how is how is this program going to fit with uh, with, with the schedules program, right? And what, what, like, how, how do those, how, how do those two things uh, exist? And I do think, you know, there's some new leadership for this initiative in particular at GSA for this e-commerce portal initiative. So Commissioner Sunny Hashmi has put Jeff Lau, who's the Region Two Commissioner up in New York, in charge of this, right? So I think that will bring some kind of new thinking and new energy to it. And then, 
there's a fellow named Irv Kaler, who you know well, Roger, who is going to run the general supplies and services uh, group. Vector just started, I think, in that role recently here within the last last couple of weeks. And so I think those two together, right, are, are going to really sort of help figure out what this program looks like going forward. So some good news, but maybe some scale, you know, some smaller ambitions and then some new leaders to really help help figure out what, you know, what the next phase beyond the pilot looks like. Yeah, I, I know uh, uh, Irvin um, and Jeff and, you know, they're two highly regarded executives at GSA. And, um, you know, I think I could think of two better people to try to figure out the way forward and how to expand the pilot. Do you have a sense, you know, of how GSA, because you see, you mentioned when you were there, you were looking at a $6 billion potential market. And I mean, I know when we looked at it, the coalition, we kind of tended to agree with you or saw potentially it's even bigger in terms of credit card spend. What do you think changed do you have any sense of what's changed sort of the view on the scope of it? Well, I think I think it could be the fact that, you know, maybe that market for tailspend uh, across the government is six or seven billion dollars. But GSA just doesn't think they're going to capture more than, you know, 10 percent of it or so through this through this initiative, right through this program. Because I, I would say even if GSA goes forward with this, puts a puts a, you know, a real program in place beyond the pilot individual agencies are still going to do things out, outside of this, right? And buying, you know, buying will happen. This kind of tailspend buying will happen out, outside of this program. I mean, it's, you know, this is fragmented spend. It's as fragmented as it gets. Yeah. And uh, yes. I, I think maybe that was just a realization that, you know, look, we're not going to, you know, we're not going to, we, the GSA is not going to capture it all, right? That they're going to capture some, some modest portion of it, but then, but then much of it's going to continue to go through other means. Right. So um, along those lines, I do, I think I wonder if COVID has something to do with it too, because I, you, you hear anecdotally that, you know, there's been more and more credit card spend, you know, outside of whether it's the schedules or other programs during the course of COVID than, you know, before pre COVID and whether or not, you know, that sort of might expand the market, but then it also, to your point, is very um, disconnected kind of spend. There's no focus to it. Um, you know, it's just kind of filling gaps in a certain sense. And I think part of the key, you know, I would get your thoughts on this, is G- how GSA's outreach to the customer agencies and how they go about that to try to, you know, demonstrate whether it's the e-commerce or, other, or the schedules or whatever, just how that focus in terms of marketing the programs that I think is going to be critical to its success in the future. Yeah. Look, I think when GSA goes and talks to customers that, you know, it's important that they try and talk to them with, with a holistic set of offerings, right? So don't, you know, don't have four different parts of GSA or the acquisition service at GSA call on customers, right. And talk about, you know, talk about four different things, right. But how do all these things fit together? How does a e-commerce portal schedules, uh, and the requisition channel and the use of GSA Advantage, right? Like, how do all those things? If, if I'm a if I'm an agency customer, right, and you're GSA, how, tell me how I should think about all those things, how I can use them to my, you know, to the best advantage, so that I can get get my mission done, right? And so those are different pieces and parts of GSA that own some of those programs, and so it's like, how does all that come together, and how how do you uh, represent that to a customer? If you were a company calling on a, on a government agency, trying to get them to use your solutions, right? You would, you would likely do that in a very coordinated fashion. You might have different parts of your company there, but you would 
right? You would do it in a connected way. So I think it's important for for GSA to do that. Also, that was a when I was there, I was definitely a push, right, to get people to try and think about acting like an enterprise within the acquisition service and not just not, not just working in their in their lane. Yeah, I think we had some some success, but uh, but certainly not not full success. What you don't want to do is confuse customers, right? Or they say, you know, I'm not, right. you know, I don't sort of understand all the offerings you have and how they fit together, uh, and so then they, you know, either they kind of tune you out and do their own thing, or uh, you know, or, or they're or they're m- maybe just using one or two GSA offerings, but not kind of getting getting the best the best mix. It's okay to overlap. I mean, I, I would always say that when I was a GSA, like, look at we don't want to have total overlap, right? But it's okay to have solutions that that overlap or touch each other. If you think about kind of drawing a Venn Venn diagram of solutions, but we've got to be able to explain to customers why we have those overlaps. You know what what that looks like, and again, how the customer can actually use it to get their get their mission done right yeah that, that messaging is going to be critical i think another piece of it i want to get your take on is you know you have the three different models that gsa identified and as gsa the rfi didn't really talk about expanding to those three models it just said we're going to be open um to you know the commercial market um uh, it seems to me that one of the ways to expand the program and, and the success of it, I think, and I think is expanding the number of participants. That just creates volume, right? Access, people learn about it. They, you know, to do business with people they're used to doing business with in some cases. And I think that will lift all boats, you know, the current participants and whoever, you know, where do you, where do you think GSA is on that? The, um, yeah, and we have about a minute left, and we might have to carry this part over to the next segment. Sure. Yeah, I think you're right uh, in terms of you know when they finish the pilot and go forward with it with an actual program, there are going to be many more participants. You know, what does many look like? Well, it's it's how, how about this? It's more that's in the more than are in the pilot currently, but fewer than are in the schedules program. I think it's probably. <laughs> I think I know that's a terrible answer. I think it's probably dozens and dozens. If I had to guess, right? I mean, it's a uh, you know twenty five thirty. 40, you know, maybe, maybe even 50 companies, right, with offerings. And they laid out some criteria in the RF, some sort of minimum criteria in the RFI. And I think lots of companies will be able to meet that. They probably won't choose all of them, but I think they'll they'll choose a pretty pretty good number. They definitely want to get away from the three models. I know they they it was it was a, a an unforced error, really. I mean, I think just on GSA's part, I we did this when I was there, right? To sort of try and define the market and the models and the, just to sort of give some some shape to it. And then I think they they kind of box themselves in a little bit with respect to those models. So, so this this R, the RFI is definitely an attempt to get away from the models, and I do think you'll see a much bigger program in terms of the number of vendors. I don't think it's going to be a sort of open season kind of thing, if you will, right? Where sort of new vendors can get added as as time goes on, right? I mean, I do think they're going to put out a procurement, you know, make awards to a certain number of vendors, and then go forward. There might be some on ramp provisions in there at some point, but I don't, I don't think it's going to be like a, like a schedules program where, you know, it's just sort of evergreen and you can always, you you can always get on it. Don't, I don't foresee that. So, yeah, we are up in the break, Alan, when we come back, we can talk about, um, let's talk a little bit more about GSA. And it's like you mentioned how GSA is marketing the program, just looking from a strategic approach, 
the different vehicles it has uh, moving forward and, you know, how they complement or overlap each, o- each other. My guest today is Alan Thomas. He's the Chief Operating Officer for IntelliBridge. I'm Roger Waldron, and you're listening to Off the Shelf on Federal News Network. Welcome back to Off the Shelf on Federal News Network. I'm Roger Waldron. My guest today is Alan Thomas. Alan is the Chief Operating Officer for IntelliBridge and was a former uh, or is the former uh, FAS commissioner at uh, GSA. And we're talking about interagency contracting today and also GSA's programs. And uh, I, I do want to focus this segment, Alan, on, you know, GSA's, you know, going to market. And, you know, it, you know when you think about FAS, you have the schedules program, you have, you know, um, you have the services Mac or Oasis, you have the ITG Wax you know, Polaris and, you know, Alliant 2 right now and, you know, Vets, Stars, 8A Stars 3. You have a whole host of contracts. And then you have, you know, Global uh, Supplies and Services and their role in supporting the department through the schedules and other, you know, vehicles, BPAs, whatever. So where are they right now and how they're, how GSA is kind of presenting themselves to the market? There's a lot of focus on customer experience. You know, what are you seeing and just your thoughts? Yeah, I, I think, you know, if you think about the, the all the good customer experience work that GSA is doing, uh, one one thing that could potentially undo that or make it a little bit more challenging is it if you're not clear in how you go to market with your different offerings, right? Because that can make, you know, that can make the customer experience potentially less than optimal. If the customer either doesn't understand the different offerings that you have and how they fit together or potentially gets you know, gets called on by different parts of your organization, but not in a not not in a coordinated fashion. So you you sort of listed out all the major contract vehicles there: the ITG Wax, Services Mac, schedules, right, and even to some extent some of the programs in the general supplies and services category. And and you know that when I was there, that was definitely a push. Right, it was to try and to try and get those synchronized to some extent, even from the standpoint of how they're priced, right? So the, those programs, they're still, in terms of the contract access fee that's charged and the deals that are cut for um, for volume that agencies commit to running through those vehicles, right? There was, was still and probably is still some variability uh, in that, right? In, in, in how yes. those things are priced, right? And so, you know, that, that can sometimes influence agencies. There's overlapping scope um, with those uh, contract vehicles. And so, you know, particularly as you think about moving from Oasis, which you mentioned to the services map, whatever, you know, whatever it's going to be called going forward. And the, the vision for that, which I think is, you know, is pretty expansive, right? It's like, how does that fit in with schedules and the, and the, uh, and, and the ITGUX, which, you know, really are now just alliant to stars and, uh, and, and vets, right? It's not, uh, Polaris is co- coming along, but we'll, we'll, we'll see what um what what fate awaits polaris so yeah i think just you know from a customer standpoint right hey help help me as a customer understand how all those things fit together and what what i should use when in order to help me accomplish my mission much like the conversation we had in the last segment on the specifically around the e-commerce portal and there's the requisition channel and some you know schedules and different things you can do there just from a gsa perspective hey when you're going to customers how do all these different things that you have fit together into something that's that's uh, that, that's coherent? Right? I think it's important. Right. Important, and and I don't 
you know, I don't, I don't know that GSA sort of has a, has a good, a, a full, a full story on that, right? I definitely think there's thought being given to it. And, you know, I know they've done some things around customer experience and sort of creating a, they created a new site, the website they just released for buyers and suppliers, right? Which I think does, does some, does some good things, but there's still feels like it's an area where there's work to be done. Yeah. Well, even, yeah, I'd like to get your take on this. And even as you're, as you're trying to market to the customer and marketing, I think is an okay word even sure. for, for a government agency. So for example, um, um, people know Oasis. So why not Oasis too, you know, versus services Mac or big Mac originally. I mean, it seems to me you have a brand and you hear this from, you know, I hear this from industry all the time. There's a brand here that's been very successful that people know and you continue that brand. It, I mean, it's, there's, there's some efficiencies there in terms of, Oh, now you've got to introduce a whole new contract vehicle. Um, whether it's the same as Oasis or not. And if it's going to say, oh, well, this is Oasis only expanded, why not call it Oasis in terms of trying to get people's attention? I know what you, how you feel about that. I just would yeah. throw that out there. Yeah, no, agreed from a, yeah, certainly from a, from a kind of branding marketing standpoint. Yeah, that, that would, that, that would make sense. I do think you know, they're trying to do some different things with the services Mac and uh, really, a, really is a little bit broader vision than Oasis. But yeah, why you know why wouldn't you call it Oasis Plus or like you said, Oasis Two or some something like that? I mean, and maybe it's a little boring, you know. But uh, as but it's you effective. Said, Oasis, it, it is. It is. Oasis has a good brand name, right? Alliance. You know, I think yeah. maybe they, maybe the services professional services portfolio wanted to say they were more creative than the IT portfolio, right? So you know, you went from Alliant to Alliant Two. We went from Oasis to Services Mac. You know, therefore, right, right, right. right. <laughs> we're, we're a little more creative, but yeah, I, I agree with you. Would it probably would make sense to leverage the name and the brand, you know, particularly among the big customers, you know, the like the you know Air Forces of the world who use Oasis you know, pretty extensively, you know, that name resonates within the service, right? And so um, you probably will have some explaining to do. <laughs> yeah. you, people, people in Washington sometimes forget, right? When you get down into the field, right? And you get, you know, a few, a few uh, clicks away from the headquarters, right? You know, people don't, they're not always reading the trade press and listening to shows like this and that sort of thing, right? And so they, they you know, you say, oh, there's no, Oasis is no more, right? And people think, oh, it went away. It's like, they don't, they don't get the second part of the story, which is, no, no, it's now called Services Map. Like, they right. don't know that, right? right? Like, <laughs> too well, much they're to listening follow. to my show, though, Alan. <laughs> well, maybe they are. Maybe, they are. maybe, maybe not. <laughs> um, you know, just that offering and GSA figuring out how they're going to market. But another question that I wanted to get your take on is, so, you know, we, we have the Polaris pause right now going on right with the bid protest but we also have you know the CIOs, CIOSP4 challenges whether there's been there were a series of bid protests and how they're structuring that how do you view that in the context of GWAX and their role are they still viable is it a challenge what are the challenges um you know just from the perspective and putting in place is that you know some observers have said it's getting harder and harder to put one of these vehicles in place because the stakes are so high. Cause once you get on them, you know, you're in the competition, you know, and there's, is there a way to address that or are they, or do we look at like a continuous open season concept? Just what, where do you come down on that? Yeah. I think the GWACs are a victim of their own success, unfortunately. Right. And companies see them almost as, 
you know, it's an existential event, right? Where if I don't get on it, then, you know, that, that shuts me out of a bunch of opportunities for a really long period of time. Now you could potentially address that with the on-ramp. And I know, you know, I know they, they've talked about that, like over on, on Alliant 2, you know, for new technologies. And I think they've got the on-ramp concept for Polaris when that, when that actually hit, hits the street. So that, you know, that, that makes sense, but, it, but I still think most companies feel like, no, no, they want to be there when the original award is made, right? They don't want to wait two, two or three years. And there's certainly no, you know, no guarantee that any, any on-ramps will happen in these, in these vehicles. So, you know, when someone feels like their potential survival is threatened, you know, they're going to protest, pull out all the stops to make sure they get on. And, you know, they're, I think the CS, the NITAC folks on CSP4 have done a reasonably good job with most of the protests, although it still potentially could be hung up. But, you know, that there's always the temptation to say, OK, fine, we'll let everybody in, you know, uh, who, who bid on it. And then it's like, all right, well, why did we go through all this effort to create the GWAC? Right. What what really what, what really from a customer standpoint, what value did you create there in terms of, you know, some sort of down select or some criteria that can give customers some some comfort when they when they order off of it. I think it actually, I mean, GWACs are, tw- what, 25 years old now, right? 96 right. or that, right? Yep. And, yep. Yeah. So. Um, Clinger Konak, yep. Clinger Konak, yeah. So to an old guy like me, 25 feels young, but 25 is is kind of old for something that was, that was created in law. I mean, it, it might be time to just, it, I think it'd be kind of cool to have a little, little group, right? I mean, heck, I'd hire my old boss, Emily Murphy, to go do it because she's, one of the smartest people in federal acquisition I know, right? To, to think through like, what, how do we update the, the kind of rules around GWACs, right? To make them more, to sort of, you know, keep them fresh and effective and viable for the next, you know, the next decade or something, something like that. It feels to me like it's time, it's time for a relook there, given, given all the, given all the success, but then again, all, all the challenges about just getting, you know, getting the next iteration of each of these programs awarded. I mean, heck, Alliant, Small business, you know, is one of the most successful, probably the most successful small business GWAC, and it got the line too small, got had to get canceled, right, and pulled, and then it's, you know that that became Polaris, and now that's hung up a little bit, right? So you know, at some point, like if it takes you, you know, four or five, six years to get one of these out the door, that that to me that indicates there's some there's an issue, a problem, right, and some change is needed. Right. You know, Alan, we're up on the break. When we come back, I want to continue this discussion of this issue because I want to bring in some other aspects of it in terms of whether it's, you know, the role of best in class in this context as well, you know, and also some of the the aspect of the small business rules and how they're applied and whether that has something to do with some of what's going on and just get your thoughts on that. My guest today is Alan Thomas. He's the chief operating officer for IntelliBridge. Uh, former commissioner of the Federal Acquisition Service at GSA. I'm Roger Waldron, and you're listening to Off the Shelf on Federal News Network. Welcome back to Off the Shelf on Federal News Network. I'm Roger Waldron. My guest today is Alan Thomas, who is the chief operating officer for IntelliBridge, former commissioner of the Federal Acquisition Service at GSA. Um, and uh, Alan, we're, they, we're Finishing up the last segment, and you read some great observations with regard to the role of GWACs and, you know, these big multi-board IQ contracts generally, and just is it time to take a look? And I just wanted to get your thoughts on a couple of different areas as well, too. And, and, and one, just the, the role that 
because you made a great point. Like the companies look at these things and say, if I don't get on this vehicle, I may be shut out of a particular market, you know, for a while, which that's, there is a competition. That is a point to the competition to identify, you know, folks you want to do business with moving forward. I mean, I don't think the government should apologize for that. Um, You know, the, but, but also the role of best in class designations in the context of picking one contract vehicle over another as, you know, better based on the criteria established by OMB and what does that mean? How, how does that play, do you think, into this whole dynamic of focusing on, you know, these big contracts? I, yeah, I think it just reinforces the, the uh, you know, the importance, certainly in, a, in an individual company's mind, of getting on, getting on something that, uh, you know, it's a government-wide acquisition contract or, you know, a Big Mac or something that's that's been designated, like you said, as best in class or tier, tier three. I mean, yeah, just it, it exacerbates it, right? It makes it uh, it makes it worse. I did. I had somebody uh, sort of from outside the government, right? Who's just was looking at these different things, and they asked me one time. They said, "Why, if I'm in the government, why would I ever not use a best in class contract? Like, what, you know, what? Is, are right. there times when I should use an okay in class or a worse than class contract? Right? <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> I scratch my head. I said, well. Yeah, this maybe they don't have the right scope for the you know it's a good but it's a good it's a good point. I think vendors think about it like that a little bit too, right? Companies think about like just like hey, if I'm not on a best in class contract, that could really harm my business. And from a company standpoint, I can tell you, I mean, I've heard companies say this, right? When they get on a best in class contract, they think about themselves. They talk about themselves as a best in class company, right? So they almost use it as a little seal. The government didn't intend it like that. I'm sure OMB didn't intend it like that, right? But the companies almost use it, particularly smaller businesses, as a seal. Hey, I'm a, I'm a, you know, I've been deemed as a best-in-class company by the by, by the government, right? Because I hold this contract, which is an, it just again tells you what sort of importance companies place on getting uh, on vehicles like that, and then you know even it's even heightened when when the vehicle is deemed to be quote unquote best-in-class. Right. Also, I guess the thing that I think, you know, I've always, you know, some of us, uh, you know, I think in the industry have struggled with is, you know, what makes a best in class contract? That's a whole separate discussion, like whether it's the data collection and that sort of thing. And, you know, the concern has always been that it focuses less on the results, like, you know, under the contract. Are you meeting customer agency mission versus are you collecting, you know, a bunch of data and which is, fundamentally more important at the end of the day. Right. I, I, you know, that's, I don't still don't think the government's got the right balance with that regard. I I would agree. It's harder, right? I mean, look, it's harder to get the outcome, you know, so there's sort of inputs and outputs, right. And it's harder to get the output data, you know, that's past performance data. Someone would say, Hey, look in the, you know, look in the CPAR system, right. We could, you know, we could, we could talk for a while about the value of the CPAR system, but I think, right. <laughs> you know, I think it's, it's mar- marginal at best, right. Having, having been on both sides of the transaction there in terms of how those evaluations get put together, I, you know, I can tell you there's some good data in there and there's some, there's some, there's some garbage in there as well. Um, but yeah, I, I think, you know, the, the outputs are more important, but they're, they're much harder to measure, right. So the, right. it's easier to focus on inputs. Look, the government does this at an individual level too. When when they buy a service from somebody, right? They say, "Oh, we want we." They're all about inputs. Oh, I need somebody with ten years of experience and a bachelor's degree. Oh, okay, 
right? That doesn't actually tell you about how good of a job that person is going to do, right? It's just right. Those are those are some inputs that the you know that that we hope will lead to a good a good output, right? There, but you know there are lots of people who meet the criteria who are great, and there are people who meet the criteria who, you know, probably don't do a great job, right? And that and yeah. and and uh you know but but it's easier right i can look at someone's resume and say yep you got 10 years experience and you've got a bachelor's okay okay good you're you're you know you're 100 buck an hour kind of kind of person so sure you know yeah. until you until you get some better way to collect that output data i don't know how you how you uh how you kind of turn that around right that's like measuring price it's an easy it's it you know it's purely it's a number so it's easier to measure versus you know yeah, the other, you know, aspects of contract performance. Just another, you know, just get your thoughts on is it seems to me one of the things that, you know, the challenges with CISP4 and the challenges with Polaris, a lot of that are unique to the evaluation and how teams, mentor protégés are being evaluated and have risen to the level of bid protests. I mean, and so in that regard, I mean, I think there's the, there's a place there. The, the the message is the government needs to you know focus more on figuring out, making sure they're evaluating consistent with the way the SBA's rules have been set up, and um, perhaps maybe more coordination with SBA on when they're putting together the evaluation criteria might help you know eliminate some of those issues. Do you have any you're, thoughts on that? Yeah, no, you're 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 right. You're right, and and. You know, I know I know at GSA that they are coordinating more closely with SBA in a in a number of areas, right? Not specifically here around eval criteria, but that just you know when I was there and, and my boss was Emily Murphy at the time, right? She she obviously had a you know deep background in small business over time on the Hill, but there were a number of initiatives we had underway just to more closely coordinate with SBA in in a in a bunch of different policy areas. And I, I think I think you, I, I can't speak from the NITAC side rep over NIH in terms of running CIO, the CRSP contracts, but um, you, point point taken on that, right? That they're that particularly on these big GWACs where a lot of the sticking points do seem to be around uh, small businesses and you know as you said, mentor protege and joint ventures and that 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 sort of thing. Making sure there's close coordination there is. Uh, is important, very, very yeah. important, right? I mean, yeah. the, look, the, the tough thing, right, is the, the people suffering ultimately on this are the customers, right? Because they're not getting, you know, these GWACs aren't getting out in a timely fashion and people are having to do crazy things with their requirements and moving around and the acquisition strategies are clear. That that's a, that creates a lot of, a lot of uh, uncertainty within industry, right? So it's just like, it's not that the downstream effects from it are, are, are not great from an agency from an agency mission standpoint, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's not just, you know, it's not just some acquisition people sort of, you know, uh, uh, kind of fumbling around trying to get the right evaluation criteria. It has real, it has real mission impact, right? Think, things right. that maybe shouldn't get extended, get extended, you know, requirements get changed, try and fit scope on different vehicles. Like there's, there, there is mission impact here from these acquisition shenanigans. Yeah. Well, yeah. And hopefully the, I mean, I think Polaris is in a pause or looking at it and, um, I think they'll they'll figure it out, move forward. So, and and I had the question. I think I get your sense on this. The last question for this segment, and the next segment we talk about the marketplace strategy and some other you know interesting potential developments at GSA. Um, 
But just, you know, someone asked me the other day, should GSA be criticized for, like, stopping and trying to figure this out? And I said, absolutely not. I mean, if you get a protest, there's merit to the protest, or you you need to figure out even whether there's merit to the protest and whether the agency should take some sort of corrective action or adjust its plans based on, you know, what, what has been raised by the private sector or, or a particular party. I mean, that's just good government. That's that's part of the procurement system. It's part of the, you know, the business we've chosen, so to speak, right? So I just, you're, you're, any thoughts on that? Agree. Yeah, no, I, I, it's, ne- it's never too late if you think you've potentially made an error or a mistake like that, right? Somebody points it out, right? I mean, the time to, you know, it's, ne- it's never too late to, as you said, stop and address it. I think maybe the only place you could potentially offer some constructive criticism would be, you know, this this would be like uh, you know sort of releasing a final RFP is like a briefing to the president, right? So, hey, no surprises, right? So right. if you've done yeah. the proper staff work and the pre-brief and all those sorts of things, right? You get in, you brief the president, it's smooth, right? Right. Does that always happen? No, but it, but it should happen a lot of the time, right? And I think you know something like this, particularly with the alliance too small, you know, cancellation. Hey, you're coming back out as Polaris. It's like, okay, do all the right legwork, get the drafts out there. If you got a funky evaluation criteria or something like that, that's going to get scrutinized, get that out before you go, you know, before you really, before you really go final. All right. That's a great point, Alan. So, and we do, we're up on the breaks so and we come back, you know, we'll finish up talking a little about the federal marketplace, maybe the technology transformation service and FAS and, um, and also, uh, I want to get your take as a as the former commissioner, as a form one of the former commissioners out there, right? Just on the recent uh, personnel moves, there they moved around a bunch of the senior executives. My guest today is Alan Thomas. He is the chief operating officer for IntelliBridge. I'm Roger Waldron, and you're listening to Off the Shelf on Federal News Network. Welcome back to Off the Shelf on Federal News Network. I'm Roger Waldron. My guest today is Alan Thomas. He's Chief Operating Officer for IntelliBridge. He's a former uh, commissioner of the Federal Acquisition Service at GSA. Um, and I guess this show has turned into all things GSA in a certain sense, right, Alan? Um, but uh, I wanted to get your uh, take on the recent uh, moves that um, that were made at FAS where the commissioner, Sonny Hashmi, has moved um, several folks to different positions and at the senior leadership, the assistant commissioner level. Sure. I I think, look, in general, I'm in favor of, uh, of some SES moves from time to time. And it's one of the, um, it's one of the flexibility kind of management flexibilities built into the whole uh, SES structure that I think makes a lot of sense. When I was at, when I was at GSA in, uh, in the seat that Sunny occupies, I, I definitely did some uh, some moves not long after I got there to try and get, you know, to shake things up a little bit and get, you know, get the right people in the right role. So I think kind of three, three, three really important moves, right? I mean, he, first of all, on the, on the fleet program, which is, you know, has been a, there's a big focus on fleet because of the, you know, electrification and sustainability and that, that sort of things. I think it was a sort of a changing of the guard there. They, they have, uh, you know, they moved Bill Toth, who had run that program for uh, for a while, and very successfully, you know, moved him over into a into the customer account stakeholder engagement role. wasn't clear who they put in in Bill's place, at least not uh, not 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 initially. 
and then they you know they took crystal philcox who was sort of in a strategy and management kind of role and put her in charge of the whole travel and transportation portfolio of which fleet is a part so i think a changing of the guard there may be a bit of a signal in terms of you know what where the administration wants to focus around electrification and sustainability and then in the general supplies and services portfolio they uh they put uh, Irv Kaler in that role, and they moved the, the the assistant commissioner there, a fellow named Bob Noonan, into a into kind of a coordination role with a with a PBS initiative. I think Irv is a is a good is a good choice uh, for that. Right, Irv had the customer account and stakeholder engagement role, and uh, you know I think this is a little bit bigger portfolio for him. And as we talked about in the in the first segment, I think Irv will be really key to helping figure out. How to implement Section 846? What to do about the e-commerce uh, portals? And and uh, you know I wouldn't be Irv's a big fan of Advantage, so I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised to see some increased focus and investment in in Advantage, right? But sort of helping customers figure out how to use all those all those things. And then you know in in the strategy role, they put a woman named Charlotte Phelan, who actually I had just just as I was leaving, we ran a competition and hired Charlotte from the from the Navy when I was there. She was running the travel transportation portfolio. She's now in that kind of strategy and management role, which is not a big office, but is actually key. And uh, you know, some some sources, some GSA sources tell me right that uh, she's she's been quite effective uh, since she got to GSA, and I think. Uh, somebody's going to help drive a number of Sunny's most important initiatives there out of that out of that strategy and management role. So some 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 uh, some shakeup, but I think you know generally just trying to get every the right people in the right kind of roles to focus on administration priorities. Yeah, I think um, you know Charlotte can have a huge impact. Um, you know, because then that is like the strate- strategic focus, you know, function at FAS, and uh, you know it's going to be, I think. Uh, critical to, you know, Sonny's vision, you know, for FAS moving forward and implementing it and figuring it all out. So definitely, you know, in, interesting times there. Uh, also, I, I guess it's interesting times, you know, in the context of, you know, just what's going on. You know, I know the Technology t- Transformation Service was originally created in the Biden administration, then in the in the last administration, it was merged into FAS. And, you know, what are the, what do you think of the prospects moving forward of how that fits in or where it may be eventually, you know, viewed across GSA? Yeah, it was created as the third service in the, in the Obama administration, right? So you had the acquisition service, the building service, and then- Did the, I say Biden? I, I did, did say okay. okay. Might, we, we, yeah. I know, I knew what you meant. Yeah, you know, it's, yeah. Uh, well, I, yeah, I, I apologize for that. It's the Obama administration. I'm getting, all, all good, all good. Yeah, right. So, yeah, and I think, you know, it had a bit of a, I think it had a bit of a troubled start, would probably be a generous, would be a generous description of it primarily around you know fund, funding challenges right and, and and there were a n- number of issues there which we certainly not going to detail on the radio but but part of the calculus you know when uh when emily murphy came in as the administrator and when i was there as the commissioner was in order to kind of help tts get really centered and be you know solid as an organization and help it get its finances in order we brought it in under the uh, under the acquisition service and that by and large, was uh, successful, and I think is, is still a successful model that works today. There have been a number of new funding sources. You know, the Technology Modernization Fund 
the number of TTS programs, things like login.gov, right, have been have been big winners, so to speak, in terms of getting funding from the PMF. Uh, and there's some things around the the FCSF, the Federal Citizen Services Fund, which I think might you know might um, might sort of shore up the finances within TTS. I, I've heard a little bit of chatter on unconfirmed certainly, but from, from a few different folks that there may be a move afoot to, to uh, break TTS out again and create that that third service. You know, I know Administrator Carnahan is very, very focused on uh, user experience and on on technology and really kind of, you know, things that GSA can do from a government wide perspective to enable a better citizen experience through the use of technology. So could be pure speculation on my part, right? But it could be sort of one, one of the things she thinks about as, as her kind of lasting legacy, right? Is to take take that, take a service focused on technology and really break it out and stand it up on its on its own. It's probably in a, you know, it's in a certainly a much better place than it was uh, when I got to GSA in uh, in in 2017, right? I think it's been it's been well managed over the over the years, and you know potentially the timing is is right for that. Well, I think you're you're spot on. It's consistent with sort of the administrator administrator's view, Administrator Carnahan's view of customer experience, user experience, and what you know what TTS could bring to the table to help support that. So I wouldn't, yeah, I guess I wouldn't be surprised if that yeah does eventually transpire. So yeah, um, yeah. yeah. The, you know, the only note of caution I would offer is just reorganizations are never simple and they tend to sort of suck the oxygen out of the room, right? And so people, it tends to turn, you know, like if things are going well, you know, think about what GSA does, right? Every part of GSA really is externally focused, helping other agencies meet their mission, right? By providing right, right. You know, mm-hmm. some, some sort of service, right? And so reorgs tend to get people to turn inward a little bit. Where, where am I going to end up in the org chart, right? What's going to happen to my role? Right. Yes. Is my group going to change? Right. And so that from a from for an organization that is that is that is spends most of its time sort of externally facing that can be, you know, that that can be distracting. Right. And so that, you know, that's just a sort of, you know, management 101, like ah, re- reorgs are never as smooth as you think they're going to be. Right. That's a great point. And just how it's like, you know, do you re- you're, you you know, it's like uh, you know, reorganization, you know, put the figuring out and putting the track in front of the train as it's running, right. And keeping the train running right at the end of yeah. the day. So that's a great point. And that will be the key management challenge there. So we only got about a minute, a minute and a half left. I, I just want to get your quick take on the recent announcements about the federal marketplace and some of the enhancements that GSA is making and from a user experience perspective. Yeah, you see, you see the real focus on uh, on UX there. I mean, again, consistent with the administrative vision and really where this where this administration's going. I did I did sort of note a uh, you know a focus on kind of making it easier for suppliers to get on schedule, trying to make it much easier for buyers to to think about the process they need to go through, and then what you know what sort of tools GSA can can provide there. It's a little. They, they they put a new they launched a new website which looked good it was a little bit of a skin for some of the old acquisition gateway content but I would imagine over time that you know that content and that look and feel will get will get refreshed you know it feels like the right the kind of right direction and you know I know when I was there we we a, a 
bunch of smart people came up with this, you know, concept of a federal marketplace and doing, you know, kind of doing releases on a, a quarterly basis. So it's good. It's good to see that 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 continues to live on and that the GSA really is, um, you know, really is making progress in, in that in that respect. It's also a nice concept because it gathers in a lot of disparate things that are happening within the acquisition service. Right. It's not it doesn't all have to be about technology. There are also a number of important policy things and policy changes, right, that can get can get rolled in there and talked about it. So it gives it gives sort of a coherent framework for people to think about what the acquisition service is doing and how they're how they're making a difference in, in agencies uh, in agencies meeting their mission. Right. Well, Alan, we're we're at the end of the show. So and that's a great way to end it. Right. Just to where GSA is and its mission. So I want to thank my guest today, Alan Thomas, he's chief operating officer for IntelliBridge. I'm Roger Waldron, and you've been listening to Off the Shelf on Federal News Network. You've been listening to Off the Shelf with Roger Waldron of the Coalition for Government Procurement on Federal News Network. Tune in Tuesday mornings at 11 or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One. best every day you need proven quality sleep every night science proves your best sleep is vital to your mental emotional and physical health and that's where the sleep number bed comes in and let me tell you ever since i've had it my sleep iq score is just going higher and higher and did you know eight out of ten couples say that one of them sleeps too hot or too cold science tells us regulating your sleep temperature leads to higher quality sleep for many couples Temperature struggles are a real challenge. So here are some tips to help you both sleep just right. Look for beds designed with temperature benefits such as the new Sleep Number Climate 360 Smart Bed that actively warms and cools each side so you both sleep blissfully comfortable. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number 360 Special Edition Smart Bed. Plus, special financing for a limited time. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com slash podcast one. Sleep Number the official sleep and wellness partner of the National Football League. Subject to credit approval, minimum monthly payments required. See sleepnumber.com for details.